0: Well, I'm thankful to be here, thankful for the opportunity to, to speak this morning, and uh, last night, Brother Gaddis was saying we've got some men of God preaching this week, and I was like, for a minute, I was like, oh, I forget who's doing that. Oh, yeah, oh, wait, <laughs> he he's talking about me, you know, <laughs> so it's like, man, I have him fooled. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where, gonna, where we're going to be uh, to start and, uh, you know, it's kind of, you really could take these sessions in a thousand different directions. And, um, and so I'm just going to kind of bear my heart on ministry philosophy this morning. And uh, I was reading this morning, so First Corinthians 2 is where we're going to be. Let's go ahead and read that, first five verses there. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified." And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Well, this sounds a lot like youth work, doesn't it? You came, you came, you feel like you know nothing. There's fear and trembling. Look at verse four. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I think this is Paul's ministry philosophy. Uh, he kind of just lays it out. This is, this is what my philosophy is if I'm going to help people to grow into what they're supposed to be. And uh, I was reading this morning on um, uh, Fox News uh, about four Nigerian stowaways. This is a true story, okay? Uh, these four Nigerian stowaways, maybe you saw the headline, um, they snuck onto a, um, a ship because they're trying to escape Nigeria's uh, unstable political climate. So they snuck onto a ship, not onto the ship, they snuck onto the rudder of this cargo ship. And they got, the four Nigerian guys got into the rudder of a cargo, please don't look this up and verify it right now, okay? (laughs) But they got onto this ship, they thought it was going to be a fairly short journey to Europe. (laughs) I don't know how you think going from Nigeria to Europe is a short journey, but they got into the rudder of the ship, they formed some kind of a net connected to the rudder and the ship so they wouldn't fall into the ocean. Um, Turns out the ship wasn't going to Europe. It was going to Brazil. (laughs) So the, the journey lasted a lot longer than they thought. And the story says they drank ocean water to survive. Last I checked, I don't know that that helps you survive. Fox News either has it wrong or Nigerians have iron stomachs. And I was thinking as I'm reading it, they got off in Brazil and somebody said, do you know where they are? And they thought, we thought we were in Europe. And they said, no, you're in Brazil. And they're thinking, well, how did we, what in the world? How did we get here? And I I thought, well, that sounds a lot like youth work. (laughs) It's like, I mean, you're just hanging on for survival, especially YouthCon week. Can I get an amen, right? You're hanging on for survival. You're just trying to live um, you're hanging onto the rudder. There's no sleep, just praying and surviving. And I, I thought it, how ironic that one of the men, this is real, if you look it up, one of the men's first names is thank God, one word. <laughs> T H A N K G O D. And sometimes you think, hey, if I survive YouthCon, thank the Lord. If I survive youth work, thank the Lord. The most ironic part of the story is they ended up in the wrong place, though. And I, I was thinking about that. I hope that part, you know, that part can feel like youth work, but I, don't, I hope it doesn't. Um, because, yes, you're barely surviving. Yes, you're barely hanging on. Uh, yes, you're not sure if you're going to make it sometimes. But, it, but what I hope for, what I pray for as a youth pastor, when I was a youth pastor, I thought I at least hope I end up in the right place. Because it can feel like chaos and it can feel like pressure and you feel like you're just trying to get to the right place. But can you imagine going through all that you go through and ending up in the wrong place? That would be terrible. And, and no one wants to waste their time. It's hard enough. And you want to produce teenagers that become mature adults, mature, maybe more importantly, disciples, you know, young, young people that become followers of Jesus Christ. And so I started thinking then, well, how how do you get there? And I thought, well, probably nobody has a better stated ministry philosophy than the Apostle Paul. And we come to 1 Corinthians 2, and here's what he didn't want to do in verse 1. He says, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. See, he refused. He didn't want to compel them with excellent speech. And uh, he refused to establish their faith of the Corinthians on his own wisdom. He didn't want to come impressing them. He didn't want to come uh, trying to convince them in his own strength or impress them with his wisdom. We know that he was a gifted thinker. I mean, as a Pharisee, as a man um, who was as zealous as anybody of the law, he memorized very large portions of the Old Testament. I mean, this guy would would have been an incredible thinker. He would have been an incredible communicator. Um, If you read what he wrote in the New Testament, it's almost like the doctrine of the Old Testament just spills out of his writing; it just comes out of him. and And he, he was well versed. He was a, a brilliant man. Um, if you wonder about his speaking ability, he, he he go read Acts chapter seventeen. Read his sermon to the Greeks on Mars Hill, on, and and he was able to connect with them, but also then understand their background and transition to the gospel with it. And it's an incredible um, treatise there in first in Acts chapter seventeen he uh, he did not though want to use that to grow teenagers could he have yes i mean he could have used his own experience he could could have used his own wisdom he could have used enticing words if you want to call it that he could have built their faith on himself and people probably would have looked at their youth group and said boy that's a good youth group and, and but his philosophy didn't didn't I'll uh, depend on him conveying his own wisdom. He actually came in verse 1, look what it says. When I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring, uh, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He says, I came declaring unto you God's testimony. See, Paul chose to uh, convey God's word, God's testimony. He was a solid witness He had a good testimony. I mean, he saw Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He was an apostle. But God's testimony, even with all of his experience, he said, but God's testimony is better than mine. God's word is better than mine. If I'm going to build the faith of somebody, I want to build it on something that's stronger than me. Verse 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you. I feel like that sometimes. I did, but he but here he is choosing. I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And listen, I don't know, and this is a side note, but if you're a youth pastor or a, you're young in the ministry, uh, it's your first year, you're, you're looking at these young people like, where do we start? What do we do? Um, it's a good thing that youth work is not dependent on your wisdom and experience. If you will preach Jesus Christ and him crucified... That's enough to establish the faith of the people that you're ministering to. And, and we can't ever get away from, from that, that mindset that our job is not to attach them to me. My job is to attach them to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. Paul could have said, listen to how wise I am. Um, the ancient Greeks put a lot of stock in intellect. That was a big deal to them. And, but Paul said, who you know matters more than what you know. You knowing Jesus is more important than what you know about life. And and Paul could have chosen to walk into Corinth with great confidence, but instead he chose a spirit of humility. Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And I've read John Maxwell and James Clear on leadership and you don't really hear a lot about that. You, don't, you hear confidence. You hear um, you know, going in and making the best of yourself and self-improvement. But here's Paul saying, no, I came in weakness. I came in fear. I came in trembling. I came in humility. And teenagers will do that to you whether or not you choose. So you might as well humble yourself because they will humble you. Um, but if anybody had reason to have confidence, Paul did. I mean, read Philippians 3. If anybody had a resume worth having confidence over, Paul did. But he chose not to make it about Paul. He made it about Jesus Christ. He came with a spirit of humility. And when you come that way, it allows you to do something very important. Okay, look at verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Here's the thing, if you are working with teenagers or if you're in the ministry at all, if you want God's spirit and power to be demonstrated in your life, you have to be humble first. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And the most important trait, characteristic of a youth worker or anybody in ministry is to be humble before God because God cannot use a vessel that's full of itself. You must be empty before God if you're going to be used for God to make a difference in people's lives. Here's the thing. Paul valued the lives of the Corinthians, their spiritual lives, enough to humble himself and let the work of their faith be established on something greater than himself because he loved them to that degree. He said, no, your spiritual life is more important than me, than you attaching yourself to me. Your spiritual life is more important to me. I'm not going to let you be a a kingdom builder in the youth group. I'm going to attach you to Jesus Christ because that lasts longer. That's more stable. So Paul made the deliberate choice to set aside anything that reflected Paul His words, his wisdom, his teaching, his credentials, whatever you want to call it, because he knew unless he gets out of the way, the Holy Spirit cannot do what it needs to do in the lives of the people he's ministering to. So what was Paul's goal in all of this? Well, I think the answer is found in in verse 5. He says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Paul understood something about faith. He knew that faith could only be as strong as the object in which it was trusting. And it was if the faith of the Corinthians was in Paul, their faith would only be as strong as Paul. And you say, well, Paul's a pretty strong guy, but Paul was human. And Paul was a sinner. And, and Paul, you read Romans 7, Paul had his own struggles. Uh, Paul was not perfect. He had physical weaknesses. We know he was he got sick. Uh, He was, uh, by the end of his life, I think he was probably decrepit, could hardly walk because of the persecution that he'd faced. He couldn't always be there. He would not always be there for them. He would eventually pass off the scene. And he thought, if I'm going to build their faith, then their faith can't be attached to me because I won't be around forever. I won't be their pastor forever. So Paul came with a desire to attach the Corinthians to God, not himself. He wanted their faith to stand in something stronger than himself because human Paul has limits and Jesus Christ does not. So Paul had to deliberately choose to attach them to Jesus Christ, not himself, because God's wisdom is permanent and infallible. And a youth group, listen, I'm just, I'm just telling you this, a youth group built on the personality of a youth pastor won't last any longer than that youth pastor. But it's pretty easy. I mean, let's be honest, if you have the right personality and you have enough experience, it's easy to walk in and attach teenagers to yourself. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be connected to your teenagers. You ought to. But if their faith is dependent on your faith, then their faith will only last as long as you do. And you won't always be their youth pastor. You won't always be there. There'll be, eventually, you'll probably pass off the scene, you'll go take another position, um, and, and they, who, who will they have at that point? What will they have at that point? It's like the wise man that built his house on the rock, and we need to, we need to teach young people to fish, not give them fish. And Paul was more interested in the spiritual success of the people of Corinth than he was building a youth group, I say, you know, because we're applying it here, a youth group kingdom. And if Paul knew that he wouldn't always be around and he needed something stronger, uh, they had to kick off the spiritual training wheels, in other words. And if you're going to survive a 14-day trip on a ship's rudder, you at least want to end up in the right destination, right? I mean, can you imagine going through all this and producing young people that don't have faith enough to stand on their own two feet? I mean, we're we're looking at the ministry philosophy of the most effective missionary witness the world has probably ever seen. And I'm, th- I'm thinking, if I'm going to do youth work, I'm going to do it like Paul did his ministry. It's kind of like this. If you're going to carry a baby, we have a couple of babies in here. And I saw Brother Morales carrying a, a carrier, you know, car carrier with a baby in it. I hope it was his. And he was, he was going into the hotel door. And, and I said, it, it reminded me of the days when you had um, a baby. And some of you have babies still in the carrier. And at, at first, you carry that baby with pride. After about three minutes, though, you're like, oh, my goodness, you know. You know, a baby gets heavy in a carrier. Well, then, you know, they grow to be toddlers, and you carry them for a while, and it's okay, but after a while, it's like, man, i got to put you down. You need to learn to walk on your own two feet. Well, can you imagine, then, 17 years old in your youth group, and you're still trying to carry that kid around? I mean, that's, that's not just not fun. It's impossible. But that's what Paul is telling the church at Corinth. He's saying, now, I mean, for a while I can help you with this, but at some point you have to learn to walk. At some point you've got to kick the training wheels off of your bike and have your own faith. And so if I value that, then I better help you build your faith in something that will last longer than me. Because I don't have the strength to carry you. As a, as a parent, I, I, we're raising five children. We have two in Bible college. If I raise my children to be so dependent on me that I have to hold their hand and be there for every decision, that will limit them and me. They'll be limited because they can't do anything of their own on their own without help. I'll be limited because I'll spend my whole life um, trying to get them out of bed in the morning to go to work. You know, it limits both of us. So, so what I'm trying to get you to see today as a youth in youth work, yet it may feel good to attach them to yourselves, but it's not nearly as long lasting. And you are limiting their faith and you're limiting your effectiveness because you'll have to hold their hands their whole life. And, and so we must remember this in youth work. Our goal with teens is to produce disciples. That's what we're doing. Produce disciples that are mature in Christ, whether or not we're around to see if they're if they're mature. And if we attach them to ourselves, what happens when we're off the scene? But if we attach them to Jesus Christ, he's never off the scene. So what Paul is saying is the best ministry philosophy is that which is built on God's word and God's power. In other words, God, just get me out of the way. Don't make this about me. Anything less will produce young people that are never able to grow into mature believers. And it seems as if this, as this, this generation is resistant to adulting. I don't know about you. I mean, when I turned 16, I was at the, the DMV. The day I turned 16, I got my license. And now we've got 21-year-olds like, well, the basement's comfortable. Mom can give me a ride. I'm like, no, we need to grow up. It's, it's time to adult. If you want to build a youth group, prioritize fun. But if you want to build disciples, prioritize the preaching and teaching of God's word. See, dad, it's kind of this philosophy I, I talk about sometimes is the dad youth pastor versus the uncle youth pastor. You know, when, what we need in youth work is the dad mentality. I mean, you you probably had a cool uncle. I mean, Uncle Rico or somebody, you know, really (laughs) impressive. Could have taken a state. Okay, so, you know, dads are concerned with preparing kids for life. That's what dads do. Um, Uncles are concerned with being liked. You know, dads go home with the kids. Uncles get to send the kids home. And I know what it's like to be an uncle and, and you know, spoil your kids or and spoil those kids or hang out with them and just have fun. But I think we have too many in youth work that are concerned with being liked instead of preparing young people for life. We need some dads in youth ministry. You say, well, I'm only 22. I just graduated from Heartland. That's okay. Be an old soul. They don't need uncle youth pastor. They need dad youth pastor. And dad youth pastors find themselves taking stands because their goal is to make disciples. Uncle youth pastors find themselves making concessions because their goal is to be friends. And there's no telling what you'll compromise if your goal is just to have teenagers like you. And dad youth workers won't settle for anything less than godly kids. Uncle youth workers are okay if they're just good kids. I mean, I want my kids to be good kids, but as a dad, I would much rather them be godly kids. And so if that's my goal, that affects or changes the way that I raise them. I mean, if I want good kids, I'll just make sure they obey the law and do the the bare minimum not to get in trouble. But if I want godly kids, that changes the way they spend their days. It changes the way that I influence the time that they spend on the Xbox or not. You know, because I don't just want good kids, I want godly kids. And we ought to want good young, godly young people, not just good young people. I mean, if our standard is the world, it's not hard to overcome that. I mean, it's a pretty easy standard to surpass. But if we want godly kids, it changes the way that you influence or interact with those young people. Dads know that not teaching life lessons to your kids means that they'll be in your basement the rest of their lives. Uncles have fun for a short time. They get to leave. And what I'm saying is don't settle to raise a shallow crowd by being an uncle youth pastor. Strive to raise disciples with depth by being a dad. And I say, you say, oh, I'm a pastor's wife or youth pastor's wife. You know what I mean? Be a parent. Don't just be the fun one that comes in and then leaves and then parents have to clean up the mess. So here are some principles to help young people um, in their adulting, okay? And you can write these down. These are things that influenced the way that we ministered um, and I know that's a lot of buildup, but I wanted to be you wanted you to see this is based in scripture and not just my own philosophy and but it's going to look different for everybody but I think all of these are scriptural principles if you want to help raise young people and, and prepare them for spiritual adulting um, here are some principles Matthew six thirty three emphasize Christ first that's what, Jesus, that's what Paul did with Jesus. He said, I, I came knowing nothing save Christ and him crucified. Emphasize Christ first. Seek ye, let's quote it. Ready? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That principle is absolutely key to young people's growth. Our youth group name in Stillwater was first claim. Meaning that we said our goal is that every young person that comes to our youth group gives God the first claim in their life as if they're a piece of land and it's, you know, Sooners, you know, cheating, coming over the line first, getting to the property first, and they stake a claim. Okay, I'm a Sooner fan, it's all right. So, you know, they come and they stake a claim on that ground. And that's what we ought to train young people to do. God has first claim on your life. He, he gets to have first saved. And listen, if he, if he is first, if we can tell them and convince them that Christ is first, everything else falls into place. That's what one decision makes thousands of decisions for them. Uh, think about it. If, one de- if their decision is Christ first in everything, then when it comes to it's a baseball game on a Wednesday night or I'm going to go to church. Well, I've already made the decision that Christ is first, so that makes the decision for me. If you come down to, well, I'll get a job, and my job will force me to work instead of do outreach on Saturday mornings. um, If they've already made the decision that Christ is first, that makes the decision for them. And, And so then you're not telling them every moment of the way, every step of the way, okay, here's how you make the decision between this and that. No, you're preparing them to make their own decisions of life. No, Christ is first. And so if anything is competing with God, Christ is first. And if I can teach my children to think that, then they don't have to call me every single time there's a conflict between life and God, because they've already made that one decision and it affects everything else. And if we can teach them God gets first claim, then they'll be more open to his plan for everything, if it's big or if it's small. And here's the thing, if you will raise young people um, to say God first, Christ first in my life, and they get used to that in the small decisions then when it comes and their decisions get a little bit bigger, they're already thinking that way. And so then when it's time for them to decide, what do I want to do with my life? Well, you've helped train them to think Christ first. And so they'll say, okay, that's my thought process. Christ is first. And so, hey, if Christ is first, then I want to give him first claim on my life. And maybe that means a year of Bible college. I'm not saying that means you have to be called to the ministry. But if we can convince them to think Christ first, then it puts them in a position to make that decision for themselves. It gives them, you get, and you're not trying to have, have to help them every step of the way with every decision they're making. No, you've already trained. Help train them to think Christ first. Um, uh, number two, another principle to help young people, adult, is don't be afraid of high expectations. You know, here, here's youth work. Sometimes you're like, okay, these kids... Um, they're never going to rise to the level I want them to be so I'm going to lower the expectations well Paul said let no man despise thy youth but be thou an example of the believers in word in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith in purity, you know what Paul is saying he said Timothy you're a young pastor nobody expects you to be an example of the believers but if you but it's possible for you to be an example of the believers even as a young person I, don't know, Paul, I mean, Timothy wasn't a teenager, but he was a young pastor. And in that culture, you didn't get a lot of respect until you reached a certain age. But Paul said, if you want to overcome your age, be an example. Just choose to raise the bar for yourself. And you have. everybody has a choice. You can either be an example or you can meet the expectations. And it's possible for young people... Uh, to, meet, to be the example, even in a church setting. It's possible for young people to be an example. I mean, in our church, we did this in Stillwater. We're doing it in Sioux Falls, for the Samuel every week. I mean, we have outreach with the young people, and a lot more teenagers come to outreach right now than adults do. I mean, there they will come and fill a bus on Saturdays. And to me, that's not a bad thing. Nobody expects it, but it's a good thing because the adults are saying, okay, well, they're being an example in something I should get better in. And see, what we do in youth work is we tend to lower the standard rather than raise the bar. It's kind of like this. Our expectation of young people sometimes is, well, they're doing better than 95% of the kids their age. As if that's a good standard. It's kind of like if a teenager is taking a test and they come home and they ask, and dad asks how they did. Well, if dad's standard for school, and this may be true for some of us dads, if dad's standard for school is pass, and the, the teenager says, I passed. Dad is going to be happy. Now, if mom, probably, this is probably true, has a higher standard and says, no, this standard is 95%, mom is not happy with an 80 You see, dad, if your standard, listen, if your standard as a youth pastor is, okay, 90%, you'll be okay with 90%, but if your expectation is a 100%, you won't be happy with anything less than that. I'm not saying that we ought to drive our kids to be just resentful and angry and we're never content. I'm saying it's okay to raise the bar. It's okay to have high expectations. Don't be satisfied with low expectations. Don't say, as long as they're good kids, it's all I want. Um, don't just say, well, as long as they stay there in their rooms tonight at youth conference, I'll be happy. First of all, that's not happening. I was in the hotel, so... You, know, you it's not good enough to say as long as they stay in church, I'm satisfied. What about are they a disciple? If our standard is we're making disciples, there are very few, few things they are going to be doing that we're like, oh, this is good enough. No, our standard is discipleship. And again, I'm not saying legalism. I am not saying that we create a standard they could never attain to. But I am saying that it's okay to raise the bar for teenagers because they're capable of more than we give them credit for. It's okay to raise the bar. Paul said to Timothy, be an example. It is possible for them to be an example, not just meet the expectation. Um, Here's the third principle. If you want to help them adult, engage their parents. Ephesians chapter 6, it says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, there's never a command in scripture that says a youth pastor is to raise other people's children. And so no matter what you do, um, no matter what you do in youth work, God gave children to parents. And, and in some ways, it's a pressure reliever because I don't have to raise them. But on the other hand, I have an important responsibility to help the parents. But listen, here's what a lot of youth pastors do. Um, it's easy to do this, that you take on an administrator role rather than a support staff role. Your job is not, you're not in charge you are there as a support staff to parents. And, and sometimes I think that youth work might be more training parents than it is training teenagers. You, you may, more of your problems probably come from parents than they do from teenagers. And, and, I, and sometimes it can be hard, but listen, you've got to engage their parents because God gave those children to those parents. And I understand there will be exceptions. There may be young people in in your group that that don't have parents that are trying to help them be godly, and you may need to take a bigger role in that. But for the most part, most of the young people that you deal with, I would say probably um, have parents that are at least on some level trying to raise their children right. So here's how you help parents with their young people, communicate with them about their children. and So uh, do it in a loving and humble way, though, because if you have children, you know it's easy to be defensive about your kids. And I'm telling you, that is probably the single biggest inhibitor to a young person's growth is if they have defensive parents. And and yet, listen. Part of your job is to talk to parents when you see something in their in their teenager that that needs to be adjusted. And so you say, "Well, I'm young. I don't have kids of my own. How am I supposed to do that? Um, I don't know how you do that, except God puts you in that position." And if he puts you in that position, he'll give you the grace and the help and the wisdom to do those things. Sometimes the hard conversations need to be had. Um, I will just say this. If you will go with a spirit of love and humility, it will help you out a lot better than going in with guns blazing. Um, So, in other words, don't always deal with a problem as soon as it comes up. Give yourself some time to think about it before you talk to a parent. Because if you go in with passionate heat, they're going to respond with passionate heat. That's how it works. So, but you must engage their parents. It is not your job to fix all of their child's problems. Um, It's also, but you are there to help them be aware of things that need to be adjusted. Don't undermine their authority either, by the way. Um, See, this is a prime example of a youth worker that's attaching a young person to himself is if mom and dad are saying one thing and the youth worker is saying a different thing, and there's opposing forces going on in that young person's life. Listen, you may not like what mom and dad are doing, um, but it is not your job to turn that child against their parents. And if you, will, if you can turn the parent's heart and to you be on the same page, you guys can be on the same page, that's a much better approach than undermining their authority because, listen, you won't always be their youth pastor, but they'll, they'll, those two will always be their parents. Um, attach the hearts of the young people to their parents, not yourself. Because a parent will answers for the raising of their child. And it's much more important that teens have a right relationship, honestly, with their parents than even it is that they have a right relationship with you. Now, they should have a right relationship with you. But first and foremost, let's turn the hearts of the young people to their fathers. It's a scriptural principle. Here's another principle, and we'll be done here in just a few minutes. Another principle to help them adult is focus on the core. Matthew 17, one says, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And, and you say, well, uh, so Jesus spent most of his time with a smaller group of people. Um, and you say, well, you know, youth work, we got 60 in our youth group. How are you supposed to do that? Are you saying I neglect all of them? And just, no, I'm not saying you neglect all of them, but it, it is important that we learn to properly balance the time that we spend investing in the core teenagers and the fringe teenagers. It's easy to spend all of our time and energy focusing on the fringe kids because they are the ones that require the most attention. And you've got a core group of kids that will receive your instruction and they're being ignored because all of your attention is to the kids on the fringe. Uh, I remember this, this stark illustration, I took the kids to a Thunder game, our teenagers one time. And it was the first, our first big activity in youth work I mean it was it, we had a big it was a big event planned for a few days here in Oklahoma City and we one of the things was uh, we went to a Thunder game and the kid on the fringe like he's back in the corner no offense no, you're not a rebel I'm just saying he is way the kid in that corner is, is missing for about an hour from the Thunder game and I'm like oh my goodness where is he at and because they were supposed to check in at a certain time he never checked in it's like, oh, no, what is happening? I just knew it. I had this, this feeling in the pit of my stomach. So I'm sitting there watching the Thunder game, trying to enjoy it. And I see a security guy come down to our section. And I was like, surely not. <laughs> and he walks up the stairs, walking toward our, our, my seat. I was like, no, no, can't be. Comes right to my seat and looks at me it says are you Jason Jet it's like oh no <laughs> and he says follow me it's like oh my so i ended up following him down i don't know the thunder arena it's a nice arena but down in the bottom they have a dungeon <laughs> and in that dungeon there's the people that are drunk the people that have gotten in fights the people that have done all the bad things and in the corner sitting on a chair is this fringe teenager who's been arrested Because that night, they were throwing out all these T-shirts, free T-shirts. He had gone and collected a bunch of T-shirts and then set up in the hallway of the arena with a piece of cardboard and a Sharpie, T-shirts for sale. (laughs) He's an entrepreneur. (laughs) Who knew you had to have a permit to sell anything on the street in Oklahoma City? So they gave me a choice. They said, you can either leave the arena right now, it's just about halftime, you can either leave the arena right now or we're going to arrest him. And I said, okay, uh, call me from jail, buddy. No. I wanted to. Um, but, you know, I, I, I said, well, I have one minute to make this choice. It's okay, we're just going to walk out. As I was walking back to the hotel with him, I shoved him in front of a bus. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, intrusive thoughts, you know, so. No, I was walking back, walking back to the uh, hotel with him, and just looking at him like, what are we? There's 40 kids, good kids, in the seats watching the game that I'll miss a whole half of the game with because of one kid on the fringe. And I'm not saying the one kid on the fringe isn't worth it because he may end up being the one that surprises everybody. But if you're not careful, you'll spend all of your time focusing on the fringe and the core are begging for attention. They're begging for somebody to take them under their wing and just love them and train them and help them. And it's easy to get so focused on the fringe that you forget there's a core of young people that are waiting for the investment and they're waiting to be trained and they need some loving and and help, and there, you can, I mean, I'm telling you, in, invest in the core, whatever it takes. When you go make visits, take a young person. Say, I don't know how to invest in the core. You have time. When you run errands, I, if I'm at the church, if there's ever a teenager at the church, I'm, I may not be thirsty or anything, but I'll say, hey, I was just headed to the gas station. You want to go with me? I'll buy you a drink. They never say no. <laughs> like, sometimes they'll get, like, five monsters, but... That's mom and dad's fault. Parents raise children, you know, so. Yeah. Take them with you. Go, you eat lunch. Pick up a young person. Take them with you. Um, it, it, there are times where we'd have reward trips. The kids that did all the things they should have done, they were the only ones that got to go on a trip. That's okay to do that. Invest in the core. If I, and then the last one, I don't want to uh, take too much time here. Exercise love, not tolerance. Exercise love, not tolerance. John 3.16, I think, sums up ministry philosophy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You say, how, does that, how is that ministry philosophy? Well, the, the culture today says tolerance is the highest virtue. Um, but tolerance, the idea of tolerance is I love you where you are. And that's it. Love says I love you where you are, but I love you too much to let you stay there. So tolerance is okay with where you are. Love, though, says, I love you so much, I don't want you to stay there. It's like if your child is playing in the street. One time we were, we were at Brahms, and, you know, if you're at Brahms, you're thinking about the ice cream and the food, okay? That's what we're thinking about. We didn't realize our children had run to the edge of the busiest street in Stillwater. They were on the curb, cars zipping by. And you know what I did? I said, I love you where you are. <laughs> no. I said, stop, because I love them where they are, but I don't want them to stay there because of the danger they're in. See, that is ministry philosophy, is that you love someone to the point that you are willing to address the things that are putting them at risk. Tolerance says, I love you where you are. Love says, get out of the road. We have a responsibility to love everyone that we come across and leave them better than we found them. That's ministry. My wife and I at times had a confrontational relationship with the young people in our youth group. And because we loved, but we, they knew we loved them. But, but, but there are some youth workers, uncle, youth workers that want friends and aren't willing to deal with things when you see the, the things that need to be dealt with. It's okay. that Dads deal with things. Good dads deal with things. Uncles let things go. But if you're going to have a ministry philosophy of love instead of tolerance, you've got to be willing to have a hard conversation sometimes. And, don't, and, and something needs, if it needs to be dealt with, God puts you in their lives to help them. And, and so I would encourage you, listen, an uncle tolerates where they're at. Parents love them too much to let them stay there. So as we wrap this up, youth work is like hanging on to a ship's rudder for 14 days. <laughs> There's no food, there's no water, you get no sleep, you're just trying to survive. But if you're going to go through all that, you might as well end up in the right place. You don't want to end up in Brazil if you're trying to get to Europe. If you're going to do that, the right place is mature young people, mature disciples in Jesus Christ, and that are attached to Christ and not yourself. And then maybe you, like our Nigerian friend, will find yourself saying, Thank God, (laughs) we're alive. And it was hard at times, but there's disciples. There are young people who aren't dependent on me for their faith, and they're mature, they're attached to Christ. And I'm telling you, I can do something else besides hold their hand the rest of their lives because I attach them to something that lasts longer than myself. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the opportunity uh, today to come together and open your word. I pray that you'd help us. Uh, to take these truths and apply them in our philosophy as we try to help young people be what they're supposed to be. Lord, we love you. Pray that you bless the next hour in Jesus' name. Amen.